Every single pitch changes the scenario of the baseball game. We trust analytics more than we do our own eyes. Really, the reaction doesn't really matter what you and I think. It's what the fans think. A lot of things, obviously, I've said on the radio that a lot of people would like to say. And we got enough artificial intelligence in baseball right now. And a lot of them went to Ivy League school. No, the days of Cal Ripken are gone. The days of playing 162 games are gone. And I think that is a good thing. I don't want my guys playing every day. I want them well rested. Shoot, even a, even a farmer gives his soil a year off. The political correctness is driving me crazy. The great managers are, are the ones that don't win games. They just don't lose games as often. If that's not the last time I'm going to correct you. That won't be the last time you're wrong about something. I'm going to let you know about that. I'm going to take you places that you wish you always went. How's that? And welcome to a view from center field. Welcome to a view from center field. My name is Andy Van Slyke. Joining me again, once again, is my partner to help me along to understand this game better, which he's had the privilege to do for the last 30 years or so. Rob Raines, a former beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. He's written 30 books. So Rob's knowledge in baseball is vast and way beyond my intellect. So welcome, Rob. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for that kind introduction. Well, everything I always say about you is usually true. I've never known you to make a false statement in your life. That's a lie. <laughs> so, Rob, you are you are in uh, you are presently in Florida. You've been in Florida spring training. Yes, following the Cardinals, and I guess we might as well start with you seeing anything that really sticks out so far in spring training. Uh, that's going on down in Florida. The one thing that stri- strikes me as being different about this spring training this season than some of the years in the past is that, and we talked about this a little bit on our first episode of the podcast here, is that the game started so early. You know, the first games were February 23rd. That's usually about the day that most players just kind of show up to start getting ready for spring training. And it's usually about March 1st or so, March 2nd, 3rd, somewhere in there. You're playing a couple of inter-squad games, and then you're you know getting going with the, the season. So it seems to me, even though we're still in the first week of March, so we've been playing games for almost two weeks, and it seems like we ought to be about you know two weeks away from starting the uh, season, and we're still a lot longer away than that. And you, and because you uh, are down there every day, you get a feel for what the coaches are saying, the managers saying. You know, I. I I get it. You know, as a coach, as a former coach in the big leagues, you got to say all the right things. The manager has always got to be politically correct within the organization. He has to protect the game of baseball, which I understand. But how are the players reacting to this very short time of getting ready for games and then maybe um, not physically totally ready to uh, to play games live? Well, I think they're being really careful with protecting, you know, especially the star players. When you got some guys that are just still now getting a couple at bats, three at bats, you know, they're rotating in and out of the DH position. So they're not really going at it 100%. You know, they, you see, you know, them trying to get their working on their timing, working on the, uh, on the swing, but they're not, you know, certainly not in, in midseason form yet. And I don't think they want to be. I mean, the main, the main goal, I think, at this point is, is twofold. I think the players are trying to get themselves into shape and be, you know, game shape. And we talked about, you know, the speed of the game and, and the, you know, quality of the bats and things like that. But I also think they're mainly trying to not get hurt. 
And I think that's uh, that's something, you know, you see injuries every year in spring training. You know, we had Brett Honeywell already go down to Tampa Bay camp with a, a torn UCL that's going to be required Tommy John surgery. Matt Carpenter in the Cardinals camp still has not been able to get on the field because of a, a back injury that's keeping him, uh, you know, off the field. He's making some progress working on the side. Of, yeah, speaking of Carpenter, he had issues last year with his back that kept him out. Is this, this going to be? His, yeah, he had issues it, with his oblique and his shoulder, too. So is this something that uh, – I've had a bad back. It, it's shortened my career, shortened my time on the field. Um, it's just something they're really concerned about because when it comes to backs, you are rotating an awful lot in the game of baseball. Just not hitting-wise, but also um, when you're playing defense, there's a lot of rotation taking place, especially you got to remember he's playing the infield now, so he's bending over in a lot. He's taking ground balls. And if he plays first base – he's going to be in a position where he has to take a lot of little throws. Is that going to be yeah. something that's going to be problematic for him? We, we don't know yet. I mean, I think it is a, it is a concern. I mean, it's kind of talk, the first thing you talked about, about being politically correct and not saying the wrong thing. They're, all they're saying is that they're, you know, Hoping to see him on the field soon. He's making progress. You know, Matheny joked, manager Mike Matheny joked the other day that he carried the rosin bag out to the uh, mounds. So that was encouraging. And that he did uh, take the lineup card out the other day because he wanted to meet Paul Molitor. So, you know, he's making kind of little cracks like that. But I I think their feeling is that if he's back on the field playing by the middle of March, don't forget he also, you know, wasn't able to play in the World Baseball Classic last year because of an injury he had in spring training a year ago. So there is some concern there about about that, I think. But they're, 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 you know, towing the party line at this point, saying there's still plenty of time, as we talked about, because you have almost a month now until the, the regular season begins on March 29th. So there's still time. But if we get another week or 10 days into spring training, it still hasn't been on the field, then I would think it becomes a lot greater concern. Would it be safe to say we won't be seeing Matt Carpenter going first to third at all on a base hit? <laughs> well, he actually we talked about back we in, back see, in, we didn't, we didn't that when he yeah. was when he was healthy. <laughs> right. He talked about you know his goal of becoming a better base runner uh, back at the winter warm up in St. Louis in January. So I, I mean we can't we can't get a reading on that yet since he hasn't been on the field. You know I I really think it's one of those things that instinctive, Rob. You can't you can't teach baseball IQ. That's the one thing you can work on fundamentals, but when it comes to the instincts of the game. I think either you got it or you don't. It's really, really difficult to be a good ba- teach somebody how to be a good base runner. I've tried and it doesn't work. Well, it really one of doesn't the, work. That's one of the they've assigned to Willie McGee, you know, the uh, former Cardinal outfitter who's on the major league staff now for the first time as a as special assistant. Coach. <laughs> Willie McGee teaching base running. He's going to teach base you running. Saw Willie, you teach saw Willie. Outfit. You saw Willie McGee run the bases. Right. Yeah, he's very fast. Um, yeah, yeah, now, I think you know, they, yeah, they he was been, fast. He they was fast. Been, they actually have been stealing a lot of bases in spring training. I mean, I know those are kind of unusual numbers, and you don't put a lot of stock in you know spring training results uh, in any form or fashion. But you know, I, you know, they they pulled off you know two days in a row. They pulled off a double steal, delayed steal, and got a, a run out of it on a steal at home. So you know, I don't know that we're going to see that kind of aggression on the bases once the regular season begins. And I think stolen bases is an interesting thing. And you were one of the guys on replay that, you know, usually got a, a fair number of stolen bases a, a season and played in an era where the stolen base seemed to be a lot more, a bigger part of the game than it is now. And I, and I think, I wish we'd get that back. I mean, I miss that element of the game that the speed I think is, does play a role in, in making defenses, you know, make mistakes. And I think it plays a role in kind of manufacturing some runs that, you know, you don't have to sit there and wait for somebody to, home run i wish we'd get back to that style of baseball that's not where the game is today you know speaking um of home runs on march 1st um 
the uh, the scientists from USC came out with a study of the juice baseball. Did you get a chance to see that study of uh, the uh, X-rays of the of Major League Baseballs compared from 2014 and 15 to 2016 and 17, and what it revealed? Yeah, I, I read the one story on the, the 538.com piece. I didn't see the actual complete study by the USC people. I, I kind of take personally my own opinion on that is that I think it's all um, kind of trumped up evidence. You know, I, I don't really think there's anything different about the baseball. I don't think. I, you any- know what? You and I couldn't disagree more. Well, that's fine. I mean, everybody's got their own opinion. I mean, I just don't think I don't think, it. you know, the game is played the same as it was before. And I think the the. You know, that's helping create more home runs, but I just don't think – I don't really think there's anything different about the baseball. Well, Personally. scientifically – I know scientifically maybe they have studies that show that, you know, but we saw bats that were corked and everything else too back in the day. Yeah, you know? but this is this is different. We're talking about the ball. We're talking about it's, – it's sort of like the difference between a ballotta ball and a, and a three-piece golf ball that the guys on tour are using today. They're different. I'm telling you, Rob, the balls are different. You only had, let me see this, this stat. You had, I think, 40, somewhere in the neighborhood of 41 home runs in 19, I mean, excuse me, in 2015. Mm-hmm. You broke a record last year. Now, but, but everybody's still using that, the same, but if everybody's still using the same baseball, what does it matter? I don't think it makes a difference. That's not the point. The point is the game has changed because the ball has changed. And the emphasis now is hitting the ball in the air and swinging and missing. If he happens to swing and miss, so what? Yeah, well, I do. I agree with that. I do agree with that. You know, putting the ball in play is not something that uh, is emphasized anymore. But don't you think you could still win games doing that? No, I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying you can't. But unless – and here's the thing. Unless you are going to be 80% successful – before you leave first base to try to steal second, you just park yourself right at first base. Right. I agree with that too. Yeah. So the, the, because the, the physics, the physiologically, the players have changed the, the emphasis, excuse me, the emphasis on drafting players for speed is not what it used to be. True. I agree. Okay. So now that's my point. The game has changed. So <laughs> the idea of the game going back to where it was back in the 80s when you had pitching and defense and speed be the emphasis. And if you happen to hit home runs, I mean, look look at what we did. at The 1985 Cardinals mm-hmm. went to the World Series and should have won the World Series with hitting what? What was it, 97 home runs? 87 home runs? 97? Yeah, so, like they barely beat, barely beat Roger Maris, I think, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. The 314 I, stolen bases. Exactly. If you just look at the x-rays right. at 538.com, you can see the density difference. And not only that, I can I, – I, you know, I was, I was a coach, and I noticed the difference in the baseballs. When you look at the resistance factor alone with the seams being lower and the ball's not breaking as much when they're being trying to be spun by the pitcher. Right. you got less wind resistance. And when the seams are lower, the ball's going to go further. So oh, it makes sense, yeah. It makes total sense. Because less air resistance means what? Less drag. Drag means what? Air right. resistance is less, and the ball right. is going to travel. The distance the ball is going to fly is going to go a lot further. I mean, so that, according to this study, 
the ball could fly as much as eight, almost eight and a half feet further than it did just a few years ago. And that's why we have seen a 25% increase in the number of home runs since 2014. The ball is juiced. Now, having said that, I think the ball is juiced. But the question is, is that something that Major League Baseball is going to either fix or just let it play out the way it has played out the last couple of years? Well, they don't seem to be doing anything about it if they no. think it is. No. And – what are the and really the reaction doesn't really matter what you and I think it's what the fans think. Correct. So if they think offense sells and people want to go see. You know what was the what was the old uh, the old uh, television commercial and back in the day with Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. You know chicks dig the long ball. <laughs> yes, they do. So yes. I think that's still true. I mean, been, people get excited by home. I mean, we saw it, you know, with the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa chase. I mean, I, I think, you know, there was – Isn't it really – Almost anybody knew – almost nobody cared if the team won or lost the game. It's just that they hit a home run. Isn't it really interesting that back in the late 90s – now think about this. Back in the late 90s, the, the players were, were still right up, were juiced up, and it saved the game from the strike from 94. Mm-hmm. Now the ball's juiced. And it's continued the uh, the excitement in the game in two thousand, you know, two decades later. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't, I don't, I hadn't really thought about it to be honest with you until you yes. brought up that, that story to my attention. But maybe there is something to it. I don't there's, know. There is something to it. So there, there's definitely has been, you know, a, a physical shift and a psychological shift in the way that hitters have approached the game. And if the fans love it, I think they'll continue to do it. Now, the game's going to be lengthened, and that seems to be an issue for Major League Baseball. Yes, it does. So if they go back to the balls where they where they were five years ago, you're going to have shorter games because the balls are going to be ending up on the warning track being caught by outfielders instead of going another 8% or 8.5% further over the fence. Don't you think the games would also be shorter if the umpires would be a little more consistent on calling the strike zone? Well, another reason – the strike zone's gotten smaller. Right. So it's it's a combination of, of those factors. Even though it hasn't changed in the rule book, it has gotten smaller in reality. Well, it has gotten smaller in reality because nothing, there's nobody who wants to go home at night, <clears throat> no umpire that wants to go home at night, see that he struck out a guy with the bases loaded in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning with a ball that happened to be six inches outside. Right. I mean, if, it's a strike, if it's a strike, it's a strike, though, right? If it's a ball, it's a ball. No, what do you mean it's a strike, it's a strike? What, I'm, saying mean, if it, I'm saying is I also think you've got guys that are, you know, pitches up at the knees or on the elbow, and, you know, at the armpits or whatever, then all the days would have been called a strike that are now called a ball. Well, there was a strike. Well, here's the thing. The umpires have never, ever had the, the, the scrutiny that they have today. Correct. You didn't have the boxes. You didn't have all the technology. You didn't have the, the high definition. You didn't have the, the strike zone box. And so it, the way they rate umpires today is is vastly more inter- – it got more technology to to distinguish whether an umpire is a good ball strike umpire or not. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I, and we can, that's probably another conversation for another day about whether all the technology is good for the game or not. It's another thing that's changed over the game, you know, since uh, you first broke in and started playing. And, and even, I think, in the days when you were coaching in Detroit and Seattle, I think it's different now than it was was then. And, and I think there's some some things to be said for that it has improved the game. I think there's some things that probably you wish they hadn't messed with. But that's just, you know, it, like, like we said before, we're not going back to the way it was. No. No, I don't think we are. So speaking, speaking back, speaking back to the way it was, what do you think is the biggest difference between spring training when you played and, and a, when you when you coached, and then the way it's conducted today? Well, I think philosophically, nothing's really changed. You just, um, you know, you got to the manager's job is to get his. He knows he's got, dependent on the team again. He, he's got his twenty to twenty-five. 23 guys or whatever that he need, he knows he needs to get ready for the season. So you, you really break it up. You got, you got your starters and your pitchers, and then you have a handful of guys that are, are going to be fighting for a spot. And you try to get those guys fighting for a spot the most looks that you can. And I don't think that philosophy has changed whatsoever, whatsoever. And what, what do you think? What do you think has changed though? <clears throat> well, I think, um, I don't think managers and, and organizations are, are really concerned about getting players a lot of at-bats before the season starts anymore. You know, it, it was – it was, and it was really part of the philosophy when I came in. You, you need a lot of at-bats to get ready for the season. And I found out that that was true for me, that I, I needed a lot of at-bats in spring training as, you know, my career got – moved on in my fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth year that I needed those at-bats to figure out whether I was right or wrong getting ready for the season. One thing I've never figured out about spring training, all the years that I've been here covering it, you know, I think this is my 36th or 37th spring training, something like that. It's total. The schedule is totally contrary to the schedule that you keep in baseball during the regular season. You know, you're at the park by 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, and you're out of there, you know, 4 or 5 in the afternoon. Unless you're playing at Wrigley Field, Chicago, when you're still out there at seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, why in the and I, and I know they're going to say it's because they want the games played during the daytime. But I don't understand why they don't have more night games in spring training and have teams report at you know one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Kind of get used to that uh, that body, used to that clock that you're going to keep. You know, starting in April, all of a sudden they flip a switch and you're playing all night games. So after a month of playing day games, getting up at seven in the morning, it's tough. There's no question about it. There is a rhythm. That uh, it, it's hard to change. There's no question about that. The hardest part about spring training to me recently, the things that have changed is the night games. Now you have night games. We a few Cardinals by one also this spring. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. I know <laughs> when I was coaching in Arizona with with the Mariners, we had quite a few night games. Now that's rough. That you know that's physically physically tough, especially on the coaching staff and the manager. The people have to be there all morning, all afternoon. All, all afternoon, all night, and then turn around and come back the next day. I mean, that's that's really a tough deal. And I, you know, I understand why they do night games. They want to try to get a total, a, a, an opportunity for people who don't get a chance uh, to to go to games during the day because they're working. But shoot, not everybody works. You know, Monday through Monday through uh, Saturday or Monday through you know, Sunday. So you still have right. the weekends to, to go see a major league baseball game. And most of the people you got to remember also that are 
going to these games aren't locals anyways. They're retirees and they're people on vacation. Yeah, sure. So why they play night games is is, there's only one reason why they do it because they think they can make money in the process. Well, that's that's the only reason baseball does anything, right? Sure. That's fine. The players understand that. So everybody's getting rich and that's okay. Interesting story. Speaking of money in the Cardinals camp this week, kind of a, an interesting uh, study in contrast. Within a few hours, they, they awarded a new six-year contract to shortstop Paul DeYoung with less than one year of Major League service time, $26 million, the largest contract ever for a player with that short of service time. And, th- and then the uh, the other kind of best position player they had in the Cardinals last year, Tommy Pham, about two hours later, gets his contract renewed for a salary just a little bit above the minimum. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of an interesting uh, study. I mean, the main difference, of course, that, you know, they were able to work out the long-term deal with, with Pham because he wanted to get a deal done. He's only 24 years old, plays a premium position at shortstop. Tommy Pham's 30 years old. It's coming off a really good year, but it was the only good year he's had in his career, which he's had a lot of problems with his eyesight, had a lot of injuries that he's overcome. And he's, you know, it's going to be an interesting, you know, I think it's, to kind of watch this season and see how it plays out for both of those two players because Tommy Pham's convinced that he's, uh, you know, kind of getting the short end of the stick here and he's going to try to go out and do something about it. Well, he's got motivation to prove him wrong. I mean, that, a lot of times that's, you know, that extra motivation can really make a player play above uh, and beyond his, his talent. So we'll see if that's the case. The one that's, the one that's really intriguing to me is uh, – it's Paul DeJong's contract. I, right. I For the life of me, I don't know why the Cardinals didn't wait one season to see whether this was a legit four months that uh, that they saw. This is a guy that wasn't even a prospect for him. And out of nowhere, you know, you know, God bless him. He had a terrific time when he was at the, at the big league level. But when you look at his track record, it's not there. I mean – uh, the one thing that really worries me is is the strikeouts to walk ratio, and if he can right. figure, if he can figure that one out, um, um, then they probably d- did a good deal. But if he doesn't figure that one out, I think he's really going to struggle. Well, I can understand why he did. I don't, and I understand. Oh, from, from, yeah, from, I, I, can, I can understand from a team perspective that is when you're talking. I mean, I'm, it's hard to say twenty six million dollars is a small risk, but it really is in baseball terms. You know, that uh, not a not a really lucrative contract a couple of options years in there they could make it you know a 51 million dollar deal but obviously he has to perform to, to for the club to pick up those options but yet from a from a club standpoint there's real, there really was no pressure on them to to do this deal and they've done that in the past with some of these other young guys sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't but it just seems like they're they're eager to kind of get some of their young players locked up to long-term contracts and i don't know that that's the smartest philosophy in the world well they've done it in the past like you said they did it with craig Right, they did it with Colton Wong. They did it with Matt Carpenter. They did it. They've done it with Jaime Garcia. I mean, they've done several of these kind of deals in the last, you know, ten years or so. And they've, you know, for, for, they got a good track record, basically. I mean, maybe except for Craig's. I mean, he, he did flounder after, and he got and he got hurt. He, he got hurt, hurt and he never hurt. came back from his injury. Yeah. So, um, you know, the the total worth of that contract could be up to fifty million dollars. So. Right. That, that extra, you know, that extra twenty-four million—that really will fall on the Cardinals' shoulders, whether they want to move well, forward. But, well, on but that. That, that, only, that only comes into play if he actually picks up the options, which means he's had six good years, or you know, the the basic, you know, contract. Whether he might have a bad year in there, one year or another, but I mean, the basic length of the contract, the six-year contract, means he will have performed 
up to their expectations or above them for them to pick up the options and guarantee those last two years, which again, then, then, you know, it's basically another 24, $25 million on top of the deal that he's going to get regardless of what happens. Well, you know, I heard the John Mozeliak, the general manager of the Cardinals speak about his character, you know, and Correct. they, they are really, really big in when they draft players, their philosophy is they want to figure out who this, who these people are they're drafting. As much as they want they to do. know, they really, really put a big emphasis on that. And uh, I think that was a big factor. They feel like this guy has the character to try to get better. Um, he seems to have it together off the field. And that seems to be I, – I would say that's probably the, one of the main reasons why they did it. They figured he came on, he figured it out. And because he has this, this impeccable character – that uh, they don't think they're going to have any problems with them off the field. So I think that was a main reason why they went ahead and did this. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. What did you ever have an issue with with trying to separate the business side of baseball from playing it? And how hard was that to do? Well, not really. I, I understood the business side as you know, early on I did. So, um, <clears throat> you know, when I got traded, I think that you know, my, I think the biggest you know, wake up call for me is when I got traded and, you know, players, you know, when you get, here's the thing, when you get drafted by a team, you feel like I can say this unequivocally that you, you really feel better about the organization than the organization feels about you. It's your, there's just something about now, maybe, maybe it's just because I was a Cardinal and the Cardinals uh, had a tremendous minor league system. Um, but Man, I, 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 I felt that I was going to be a Cardinal the rest of my life, and and they made me feel like that. And then, you know, you get traded, you know, and, and it was really, really tough. And when I, you know, when I got traded to Pittsburgh, um, it was a wake-up call. that happened, happened in spring training, too. Yes, it did, the last day of spring training. So the player, I mean, for a lot of players, getting traded for the first time is the hardest part of learning the business side of baseball. It's not necessarily the contract part. It's when you get traded, and ninety nine percent of players get traded. Yeah, the, the the rarity now is players who spend their entire career with one team. That just doesn't happen very much anymore. Yes, I mean because it, because of the business side of it. Yes. Yep. Yep. I mean, Andrew McCutcheon is an example of a guy that I think everybody thought would be a pirate forever. He's going to be playing in San Francisco this year. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm sure that hurt him, and there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of upset Pittsburgh fans because he was he was their favorite player, and those Evan those poor people in Pittsburgh. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say those poor people in Pittsburgh. Um, they've seen it over and over again the business side of baseball. So, you know the the days of you know a player like Andrew McCutcheon not staying with one team are over because of the financial aspects that some organizations just can't meet. Well, Evan Longoria was the face of the Tampa Bay franchise. He's going to be playing in San Francisco. Yep, yep, yep. It's uh, it's a reality. And I think that's hard on the fans. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think you're spoiled in, in franchises that can afford to keep their players, do a good job of keeping their players and have it, you know, not necessarily saying they're going to be in the playoffs every year and win every year, but they have, you know, you know when a season begins, they're going to be competitive and they're going to be in the race. Yes, assuming, of course, no catastrophic injuries. But those teams that, that are never never win, it doesn't seem like they ever win, they can't keep their star players. I, I, I think it would be awful tough to be a baseball fan of those markets. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be. 
I mean, I really wouldn't want to, you know, to be honest, I would want to grow up a Pirate fan to be, you know, a couple, just a couple of years ago, they were on the edge of winning, winning their own pennant. And lo and behold, you know, like they, they trade away Cole, they trade away McCutcheon and gosh, darn, this, this means we have to suffer through a couple more years. Yeah, because I mean, I think I think there is there is definitely a correlation between putting a competitive team on the field and drawing fans to the ballpark. And if that and that's yeah. you know the problem with two now though is the way that the television contracts are structured. A lot of these teams can will make money without ever putting a, a single person in the seats. Are you say, what are you trying to tell? Are you saying, Rob, that some of these teams are tanking? No, I'm not saying they're necessarily tanking. I mean, I think the goal is that oh sure I, they I think are. Every team's goal no, is tanking. to win. I think there's different ways to go. No, it's not. It. Well, their goal is to make money. Not, their goal is to make me. money, but yeah, make money. Absolutely, that's their goal. Now, they can say they're going to try to win. They can say <laughs> that by saying what we're putting money into our minor league system. Uh, we have a three or four year plan, a five year plan. But not every team tries to win every year. It would be impossible for the small markets to say that. And I think it would be it would be totally disingenuous to, to try to sell that to the fans. And the players' union has filed a grievance against uh, four of the clubs: the Pirates, the Orioles, the Marlins, and the Oakland A's, saying that they are not trying to win, trying not to uh, improve the ball club. And I've been mean, obviously for the Marlins and the trades that they made, you know, trading Ozuna, trading Stanton, trading you know, uh, Yelich. You know, those those are you know three key players who are going to have you know great great success, I think, in their new markets. But I was, at what expense for uh, for the Marlins? Okay, they got some prospects in return, but they're not going to have the same right. production that those guys have that they traded. Well, that you know what really started that was when they lost their starting pitcher, Fernandez. Sure. I mean, when he went down in that boating accident, I think that's what started that uh, started that train. Because I, I really believe if that kid had you know figured out how to not, not to get in a boat and party a little too hard and crash his boat and kill himself and his two of his buddies and continue his baseball career, then uh, we, we might be talking about the Marlins winning their division. I mean, that's how close they were trying to pull it all together. They had some serious talent down there. But I, do you think they still were going to draw enough fans, though, in that ballpark to, to put even if they put a winning team on the field? Probably not. But Houston didn't draw very well. <coughs> No, and yet, for a lot of years, right? That's true. And when when you when you look at Houston's attendance and you look at mine, wasn't that it wasn't it was pretty darn close? Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at the actual numbers. But there again, Houston was a team that took advantage of the rules, and like the Cubs did, they they sold off some players that you know they they were older players making a lot of money, got some prospects in return because they did not you know finish well in the standings. They got high draft picks, actually picked number one overall two years in a row. And, and, yes. and, you know, took some players that now they're really good players. I mean, they also made a mistake. They took uh, Mark Capel when they could have had Chris Bryant in the draft. And that's yeah. probably a mistake. But, you know, I mean, they, they succeeded because of that. And now they're selling out the ballpark and winning the World Series. What about the what about the Nationals prospect, Seth Ro- yeah, Romero? Romero, 
Yeah, I mean, you talk about mistakes. Well, Does this he, look like maybe a biggest blunder that the Nationals have made yeah. in the last five all years? You, you, you talk about drafting players with character. I mean, I, I would be surprised, and I don't have any inside knowledge of this, but I wouldn't even think he was on the Cardinals draft board last year because of all the issues he had at the University of Houston. He got kicked off the team, got suspended so yes. many times, and yet the, the Washington Nationals thought, oh, yeah, he's a good pitcher. We'll take him. He won't have a problem here. Well, he got home, sent home from spring training because he violated some team rules. So He was suspended – he was suspended for two weeks last season, the first two weeks of the season last year after getting drafted. I mean, that seems almost impossible. You know, to me. All, all it goes to show you is that baseball talent is not, you know, you can have a lot of baseball talent in a body, but it still doesn't make you a baseball player. You know, you have to understand the other things that, are, that go with that and, and the responsibilities that go with that, especially the responsibilities of being a professional. It's, you talked about we talked about character a while ago. I mean, and, I, I, and I'm not saying I, I, I'm not I, saying that everybody a, in baseball is a road scholar or a boy scout, and you don't have to be, but you have to have some understanding of what you're there for, and be a professional. I understand about I, yes, but how do you how do you pick a guy in the first round, and then in the next spring training you kick him you, you got to send him home. Well, obviously, I mean, he's screwed I, up. I, I know one thing. I know one thing. Whoever's head of the scouting department. <laughs> has some answering to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. Well, you got to remember too, the word of the national draft. And I, I know, I know one thing. If I, if I, if I made that mistake, I, I would expect to be fired. I, I think it's one of those things too, where the nationals drafted, you know, the Cardinals had this deal come up a couple of years ago too, with a kid named Delvin Perez, who was in their farm system now as a, as a shortstop out of Puerto Rico. He had failed a drug test about a week before the draft. He had been expected to be about a top five at the at the lowest pick in the draft. He was that good of a player, and because of the draft, you know, test results, he was still on the board when the Cardinals picked. I think it was the twenty second or twenty three, and they took him. And he's had some issues, not not with the, the drugs, but just some discipline issues and maturity issues and things like that that they're working with him on. And you know, again, he was a younger player. He was a seventeen year old kid in Puerto Rico, whereas you know Romero was a college pitcher in from the U.S., so there is some difference between yeah. the two of them. But And we're talking about the first pick in your organization. Well, Perez was, too, I mean, that year for the Cardinals. But I'm just saying, it's you know, you, you yeah. do take a gamble with some guys like that. And sometimes, it's like we're talking about, the talent, you know, if you see a guy that has an awful lot of talent, well, I can, you know, whatever the problems were that that person has, you tend to overlook that sometimes because you say, well, we, you know, we'll fix that. You know, he had those problems because he wasn't with us. You know, we got our people, we trust our people. We'll get that right. You know, we'll get that right. He won't have yeah. a problem with us. So, you know, but you tell that's a risk. I mean, as you as you know as well as I do, that the baseball draft is a is a weird you know study in in um, I don't know psychological is not the right word, but people because you get first round picks that look like they have all the talent in the world, can't miss guys, and they never play a day in the big leagues, and then you get players that were never drafted. But how much homework? I mean, them. if if you're putting if you're putting all your cards in your first pick, which you really are, because the success rate. What is it? Sixty-five percent of of first rounders get to the big leagues, and you're spending your most money, so you have your greatest chance of getting this player sure. at the big league level to help you win at a cheaper cost overall for the next couple few years. Isn't that supposed to be the philosophy? Yes. I mean, didn't didn't they do? I mean, didn't they go talk to his teammates? Did they talk to I don't coaches? Know. I mean, I mean, how do you? I mean, my goodness. 
this is the one of the biggest first round blunders in the history of the game. Well, it's too early to say that. Maybe it, maybe it's the wake up. No, I'm just saying that I'm saying from at this point. Yeah, yeah, at this point, you can't you can't say that. I mean, how, I understand how many how many number one picks have been sent home the first spring training. Well, I don't know, but I doubt if it's very many. I would say the first picks. I would say this is the first one. He's the first first one. Find out, make me wrong. <laughs> that's that's not the most absurd statement. The most absurd thing about what's going on in baseball right now is that Jake Arietti does not have a team to pitch for so far this season. Yeah, how weird is that? You think that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that this guy – I mean, I know he's probably not the pitcher he was when he won the signing on a couple of years ago, but we're talking about a guy can almost guarantee you at least 200 innings this upcoming season. Those are not easy to find. Well, you also got a couple of guys at Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn have had very good careers as starting pitchers, middle of the rotation of starters. And you got a guy like Mike Misakis in, uh, in Kansas City last year at 30-something home runs. You know, here we are two weeks into playing games, not just two weeks into spring training, two weeks playing games into spring training, and they don't have a job either. So part of that grievance, I would think Major League the Players Association ought to be doing is what's going on? You know, what is really going on here? It's absurd to me that he doesn't have a job. Larry Adam we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially after Darvish gets gets – what is it? Five year deal for hundred and what twenty five, twenty six million. I would love to know if t- what teams have offered Arietta and and what he has turned down. You know? His biggest, his, you know, the biggest factor I think for him not being signed is his agent. Could be. Same one. I really think his agent too. Yep. Exactly. Scott Boris. We'll say so, the name. Yeah, Scott Burroughs may be the, the one factor we're talking about here. And I think the other factor in some of these guys, too, is that we talked about this before. I think one of the mistakes that the union made in negotiating the last uh, CBA is the whole draft pick compensation thing for free agent signings. Because I think some. Yeah, well, explain, people, explain, that, explain that again to me. Well, there's, there's so many different rules here. It's hard to explain it, and we don't really have enough time to, left in this podcast to do it. The, basic, the, basic, basic, the basic thing basic. is if a player signs for more than $50 million – as a free agent, then the, the that team that lost that player gets an extra draft pick as compensation. So teams, yes. teams are trying to get players to take you know shorter deals for less than fifty million dollars because then they won't have to lose a draft pick. And and how, how I mean that that's was ridiculous for the players association to agree to that one. I, yeah, I don't know that if it was give and take and, and part of a you know give and take on something else, some other issue that the union wanted, so they gave in on that. I don't know. I know one thing. If Don Fear was still running that show, that wouldn't have happened. And I think there's enough talk about it that that will be a point of conversation in the next uh, negotiations in the next CBA for sure. I'll, I'll guarantee you that's what's killing some of these guys. Yeah. And, killing and, them. And they thought it would be easier because they, they did protect some of the draft picks. They did change it so you don't lose a first-round draft pick on signing a free agent. It would be a later pick, but it hasn't. It, it it still ha- it has not helped the flow of free agency. I mean, it, it has slowed it to a crawl. This winter was unbelievable, and how slow the market developed for a lot of these guys, and still mm-hmm. and still is stagnant, like we mentioned, for a lot of the big bigger name free agents. So we're gonna we're talking about now, you know, especially from a pitcher standpoint. I don't know that they if they sign tomorrow that they would be ready in time to start the regular season. No, there's no question they wouldn't be ready. There's no question about that. They would not be ready. You think you think some of this has to do with what's going to happen next year in the free agent market? 
there's some big name market, the, the, there's some big the, name free agents next year. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially when we talk about Bryce Harper, maybe being the first four hundred million, five hundred million dollar player. But how, you and I both know there's only one or two teams that could afford that. Sure, but it's still here's the thing. You know, it's it's you know it's it's still going to raise everybody else in the free agent market in the process of him raising oh, that. Oh, sure. Draw. Manny Machado, Craig Kimbrell, there's, you know, yes. no one, I think Arenado's a free agent after next year. Kershaw, Kershaw could hit that. Kershaw. There's a lot, yep. a lot of good names on that board. Yeah. So I, you know, we'll see. what do they say about, what do they say about tides and boats? I don't know. What do they say? All high tides raise all boats. Oh, Okay. I, I would go on that. So what, what's your favorite? Let's, uh, let's wrap this up with where we started kind of a little bit about spring training. You were at the uh, Marlins Cardinals game today. I was there briefly. I had a couple other things. To oh, okay. Well, let me, let me, let me explain the, the type of baseball we might be looking for in the Marlins okay. this upcoming season. Uh, Monty Harrison, who was a second-round draft pick from Milwaukee, who got traded over to the Marlins right. uh, in that Illich deal. You know, he was uh, – he's actually a kid from uh, from St. Louis. Okay. Did you know that? What uh, Hazelwood, right? Lee, Lee, Lee Summit. Okay. Lee Summit, Summit, Lee Missouri. Summit. Okay, Anyways, um, he comes in the Pentron with two outs in the ninth inning, and my son's at the plate. Scott Van Slyke's at the plate, and he gets thrown out for the third out to end the game at third base with two outs. Ouch. Now think about that. That would, that would I mean, this, a fundamental mistake. <laughs> hopefully something that we won't be seeing a lot of in this upcoming season. Hopefully, hopefully the, one of the Marlins coaches and he had a little conversation after the game. Yeah, but you know, you've been playing for three years. You haven't learned not to make the last out of third base, especially when you're the, you're the winning run standing out there with two outs. You know, we're talking about a guy that's got speed too. Right. He stole – Still 87 bases in the minor leagues. He's only been caught 15 times. So, obviously, he's got speed. So, so speaking of spring training. Hopefully, hopefully a learning moment yes. for, for all the Marlins who were present. Spe- speaking of spring training, let's wrap up this episode of the podcast with your favorite, Andy Van Slyke's favorite all-time spring training story. Our favorite spring oh. training moment that ever happened to you during your career. Oh, my gosh. Any good pranks the come be- to mind? Oh my gosh! Now you're asking me to rack my brain here. Um, Apart from you're getting traded, which is obviously going to stand out as one spring training moment that you're. That's the worst thing that's ever happened. I mean, April first, you go, you know, you 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 come from a team that you know you're probably going to be in the World Series win to go into the team that finished last three years in a row on April first. And you get called into the manager's office, Whitey Herzog, you know, the best manager in the game at the time. And he looks you in the face and says, Slick, I'm sorry, but I traded you. I go, yeah, right. <laughs> Funny joke. <laughs> no, you, I really did. He said, I said, to where? He said, Pittsburgh. I said, no, you did. That's really the joke. He goes, no, really. I traded you to Pittsburgh. I said, Whitey, thanks a lot. <laughs> so looking back at it now, I can laugh. But at the time, it was the most painful moment in my baseball career. I, I would say uh, my first day I ever spent in spring training was in 1980. I was uh, I hadn't played the, the summer I got drafted in 1979. I was the first pick for the Cardinals, and I went down to spring training. And in my first 
uh, Ken Boyer was the manager, and uh, Bobby Bonds was at on the team at the time. You had Keith Hernandez, and you had all these all these veteran guys in camp. And we worked out that day, and I went in after the workout. I was one of the last guys in, and all these baseball players with their guts hanging out and you know they're not chiseled they weren't chiseled back then like they are today rob that's true as, as you yeah as you probably remember they kind of look they, more like they, sports writers they did look like sports writers you know they got all the hairy chests and they got a few too too many inches around their waist and and uh you know all these guys shave now everywhere there's actually there's probably less hair on baseball players except their face than any other athletes uh in the United States, the only hair they got on their bodies are on their face. But anyways, that's that's a different subject. Yes. But I, uh, I, I walked in there, and I, my jaw dropped. Half the team is smoking at, at, in their lockers, and they got these little igloo coolers of beer sitting in front of them. And they're popping beers and drink, and smoking cigarettes. And I thought to myself, this – is not what I envisioned Major League Baseball was like. <laughs> it was the most eye-opening moment, I think. I I mean, you talk about having an education right away. Right. That that was it. And to see that the uh, the metamorphosis of how athletes, baseball players, and they are athletes, obviously, the way Major League Baseball players go about their business, it's not like it was – 35, 40 years ago, for sure. No, that it, it is. And I think that's a positive. Close. It is a positive. Right. Absolutely, it's a positive. That doesn't mean today's players aren't doing things they shouldn't be doing. I'm not, you know, there's, but I think overall players understand the risk, the short time they have an opportunity to, to, to play this game. But, you know, these guys are still partying. You know, they're still smoking their pot and, and storting their cocaine. Obviously, they're still storting their cocaine because we had a guy killed last year doing it in a boat down in Florida. Right. So it's still taking place. And at some point, I think Major League Baseball is going to have to cover that issue because part of the – the average fan does not realize, Rob, Rob, Major League Baseball, unless you are, you have been suspected of using pot or cocaine, they do not test for that. Right. And I don't know if that's that's a good thing. Because yeah. if they did test they did test it, we might not see the, the Marlins making the trades they made this offseason. Now think about that. Oh, there's no question that something like that changes the face of a franchise forever. It certainly did. So I'm not saying that would I'm not saying things would have been different. I'm just saying there's a good chance that they, they it would be different. That's all. Right. So it's, it's out there. And so I, I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to paint a picture here that, you know, everybody's a choir boy in the big leagues. But I really believe that the players do a much better job of taking care of themselves, being better I don't want to say better citizens either. That's not even they're less they're less like frat boys than they used to be. Let's just put it that way. Right. Well, a few more weeks of spring training left until we get to the regular season, so I'm sure we'll have uh, have more chances to talk about uh, what's going on in the spring training as we get ready for the regular season. We'll do that. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Rob. That's Rob Rains. I'm Eddie Van Slyke, and thank you for joining us. A view from center field.